Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. I am so pumped for the launch of this series and the launch of our first ever capital campaign as we look into getting into our own space in 2020. That's good. We're excited. I I said this last week, but I just want to say it again. These four weeks will be the most important four weeks in this church's history. And I can't wait to see how God moves. I can't wait to see how you grow. And I can't wait to see Frederick change forever. Now, this series is titled The Frederick That God Sees because our hope is that we don't just look at Frederick as a city. We don't just think of Frederick as the place we work, as the place we live, as a suburb of D.C. and Baltimore, but as a place that God loves, a place of grace, a place of hope, a place of restoration and redemption and resiliency, ultimately heaven on earth, because that is the Frederick that God sees. Now, to kick off this series, we're actually going to start by caring for food insecure families in our city. And so this is really important. As you leave today, as you walk out, you will be handed a reusable grocery bag that has a shopping list in it. And what we want you to do is we want you to take that bag home and bring it back next Sunday. From there, we're going to be putting together Thanksgiving meals to benefit families at West Frederick Middle School and through the Frederick Rescue Mission. Some really cool news about this is every year uh, we put these things together and every year we try to get some grocery stores to help us out. But this year, the Wise Market on Jefferson is actually donating $500 worth of turkeys so we can feed food insecure families. (laughs) Wise Market is one of our partners that helped us this summer with a grocery store buyout. And I just want to say, if you were a part of that or even if you're just coming in for the first time, that event made such an impact on them Uh, that they decided we want to continue to help what this church is doing. And so we're very thankful for them. But here's why we're doing this. The goal of our campaign is to raise $250,000 over the next 11 months so we can end up leasing our own space. But having our own space or raising money doesn't stop us from loving our city. Caring for people is in the foundation of this church. So before you even have the chance to commit to being a part of this capital campaign, we want you to commit to feeding food insecure families in Frederick. Sound good? Good. One of my favorite stories about Frederick uh, happened during the Civil War. Did you know that during the Civil War, Frederick was known as a city of healing? On September 14th, 1862, the Battle of South Mountain took place 13 miles away from where we are today. As a result of that battle, over 5,000 people were killed, wounded, or reported missing. As the city's hospitals began to treat the wounded, the Battle of Antietam took place and was the bloodiest one-day battle in American military history. Just over 20 miles away, 23,000 soldiers were killed, wounded, or reported missing. With so many wounded soldiers coming to Frederick, they had to set up other hospitals to take care of people. In fact, all told, there were 27 hospital sites and another 19 private homes that cared for people. The Hessian barracks served as the main hospital. There were two giant tents where they took care of wounded people for over six months. But here's the most amazing part about this story. 
Union and Confederate soldiers were treated with equal respect at the hospitals and private homes. It didn't matter what side you fought for. If you were wounded, you were cared for. It didn't matter where you came from. If you needed to recover, there was a city of refuge. It didn't matter what you looked like. If you were hurt, you had a place to heal. People in this city stepped up so that Frederick could become a place of restoration in the middle of a war that's often described as pitting brother against brother. And I can't help but think that is what God wants for this city, where broken and wounded people can be healed, where dying people can be brought back to life, where marriages and families can be restored, where faith can be renewed. That is the Frederick that God sees. That is Jesus's vision for us, for our church and our city. One of my favorite Bible verses is written by a man named Solomon. And outside of Jesus, Solomon is the wisest person to ever live. God actually tells Solomon, I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will, be, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And in this incredible wisdom, Solomon writes in Proverbs 29, where there is no vision, the people perish. And when I say vision, here's what that means. The picture of a preferred future. Vision is the picture of a preferred future. It's the goal. It's what you're working toward. So where there is no vision, the people perish. Don't you find that that's true? Right? Think about your favorite sports team. If one person's goal is to score the most points, another person's goal is to just have fun, but the coach wants to win a championship, it all falls apart. Or if you're a teacher and you've been teaching for several years and you know what reaches third graders, but then lawmakers decide what you're going to teach and what's going to be on the test, and you have to alter what you do, you have competing visions, and that just doesn't end up working well. You've seen this at your job. Your boss is so focused on the bottom line that it's coming at the cost of people. Every week, he's asking you to work more regardless of the impact on your family, and you leave work at the end of a really long week feeling the tension because you think your boss has lost the vision. For those of you who are students, you see this when it comes to sexuality. You see people around you dealing with guilt and shame and shallow relationships because they're experimenting freely instead of having a vision that sex is a beautiful bond within the context of marriage. And don't you find that this is true in church? You've seen churches implode or decline or care about some minute point of theological difference instead of truly helping people. So why does that happen? The church lost its vision. So today, my goal is to help you have a vision both for your life and for this church. And we're going to learn from Jesus to see what his vision actually was. And so here's the context for the story that I'm sharing today. So Jesus is in a city called Capernaum, and word has spread that he was in town. And this is typical when Jesus went to a new city, went to a new place. When word spread, people came from all over to hear him teach. And this is what happens in Mark 2. Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. Again, if there was a crowd, Jesus was doing everything he could to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. So Jesus is out for an afternoon stroll and comes across a tax collector named Levi. And without much of an interaction, Jesus convinces this dude to leave his life behind and follow him. That, that's insane. Right? Who would do that? Who would leave their career behind, their family behind, their money behind? Because tax collectors were very wealthy. 
what Levi does is borderline crazy. When I was a junior in college, I was working in the student union building late at night when a guy named Brad Parker stopped by. And I only kind of knew Brad. We weren't friends. Uh, He was older than me, so we didn't have the same classes together. We were barely acquaintances. But he came up to me and said, hey, man, I'm about to drive through the night to go swim with the manatees in Florida. You down? And I remember just staring at him, trying to figure out, like, how do you respond to such a bizarre question? Right? He was literally asking me to stop what I was doing, get in his car, and drive to Florida without telling anyone or bringing anything with me. So while in my mind, I'm thinking that he is absolutely a crazy person, I just politely declined. He kind of nodded a bit like he understood the request was incredibly bizarre, and then he said, cool, walked out of the building, got in his car, and drove to Florida. And so Jesus says to Levi, hey, man, do you want to go swim with the manatees, right? Like he's saying, here's this insane thing. Do you want to do this with me? Do you want to give up everything you know in life and come follow me? And Levi says, yes. And then this is what happens. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Other translations of the Bible will actually use the phrase notorious sinners. But here's what this means. Jesus hung out with broken people, with messed up people, with outcasts, with people who had doubts, with people who society looked down on. He hung out with people like us. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So when asked the question of why does he eat with such scum, Jesus answers by reminding himself and everyone around him and even us 2,000 years later, this is my vision, this is why I came. I didn't come for the healthy, but the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, but for the sinful. I came for tax collectors, for notorious sinners, for broken people. Jesus came for us. That's his vision. Another way that Jesus says this is in the book of Luke, Luke 19.10. Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. And if we don't continually remind ourselves of this vision, we will lose sight of it. This church will lose sight of it. And then what happens? I want to read to you the vision statement of a well-known university from when they first started. It said this, Our vision is to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. That is why this university was started in 1636. They employed only Christians as professors. They focused more on character development than they did academics. In fact, every diploma read, Truth for Christ and the Church but it wasn't a seminary, it wasn't a Bible college, it wasn't a school that you would think of as religious, it was Harvard, as in Harvard. Today, Harvard is is known for great academics, but you don't know them for their Christian beliefs or their Christian leaders. In fact, at the 350th anniversary, Harvard invited former Johns Hopkins president, Stephen Muller, and he said, the bad news is, is that the university has become godless. You see, the founders of Harvard were unmistakably clear in their original vision, academic excellence and Christian formation, but they got away from their vision. You wouldn't even be able to know that now. 
the most important vision for the church is to seek and save the lost. The most important vision for people who say that they follow Jesus is to seek and save the lost. In life, it's important to have vision for everything that you have. Right? If you're not a follower of Jesus or you're here for the first time and you're wondering, what do I take home? Everything in your life should have some sort of vision, some sort of preferred goal, some sort of destination that you would like to get to. It's important to have a vision for your finances, for how you teach, for how you play sports, for your parenting, for your marriage. Those are all very important. But the most important vision is to seek and save those who are lost. And we know this is true because Jesus said it was. Jesus said that he came for the sick, that he came for the broken, that he came for people who are far from God, that he came to seek and save those who are lost. Now think about this. Jesus is God. He could have come to earth for any reason that he wanted to. He could have given himself any vision that he wanted, anything that sounded good or looked good. But he doesn't say that the Son of Man came to do miracles. He doesn't say that the Son of Man came to teach. He doesn't say that the Son of Man came to be a good moral teacher. He doesn't say that the Son of Man came to inspire us. Very simply, Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost, period. It's that simple. The bottom line is that you are lost. We are lost. We have rebelled against God throughout our lives. We have tried to do our things our own way instead of God's. And if we're being honest, we would say that's brought death to many things in our life. Death in our relationships, death in our self-worth, death in our marriages, death in our faith. But Jesus promises he brings life. He died on the cross to set you free and he rose from the grave to prove that you can trust him. And I know oftentimes we don't feel lost. In fact, you might be arguing with me in your head right now thinking I'm not lost. Okay, that's fine. But keep in mind, another way that you can translate what Jesus is saying here is that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was dead. Is there a part of you that's dead? Is there something in you that hasn't been alive for a long time? Because Jesus says he wants to bring life to that. So let me say this. We believe the church is a place that if you're lost, if you are struggling, if you are wounded, if you are tired, if you're worn out, if you are dead, that you can come and find life through Jesus. It's what we've seen over and over and over again in this church. That's why we're looking for our own space. That is what this Frederick That God Sees series is all about. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost and we want to keep joining him on this mission. Now, let me clarify some things and bring you up to speed about this campaign. The Frederick That God Sees is a campaign to raise money for collective to move into our own 24 seven space. In order to do this, we need to raise $250,000 above and beyond our normal giving. So in this four-week series, it will culminate on November 17th with you filling out a card of what you would like to commit above your normal giving toward the goal. I'm personally meeting with every collective over the next few weeks to answer any questions that you have. So if you're not in a collective yet and you're wondering when's a good time to join, join now and you can yell questions at me all you want in a few weeks but we are challenging people that call collective their church home, that's really important, to give creatively, regularly, and boldly. Now, let me explain these. Creatively, we've seen in campaigns like this that there are people who aren't in a place to give financially, but they have an extra car or a stock or something else that can be liquidated and given to a campaign. Now, this is the most non-traditional option, and it kind of sounds crazy, but we have friends who have done this before, and just a few years ago, someone's like, hey, I have a boat. Do you want a boat? And he's like, I'll take a boat and sell a boat, I guess. And so he did that as part of this campaign that they were doing. 
Now, regularly, what we're doing is we're challenging everyone who calls Collective their church home to make a commitment above their normal giving for 11 months. By the way, if you are a first-time guest today, we're glad you're here. You can just ignore all of this, okay? We don't ask for $250,000 every week, I promise. But here's my challenge to you. If you come back through this series, you're going to learn a lot about this church. You're going to see what God's doing in this church. And hopefully that challenges you to be a part of what's going on here. The third way to be a part of this campaign is to give boldly. Here's what we mean. On Commitment Weekend, November 17th, we're challenging every single person who calls Collected Their Church Home to give the biggest check or biggest online gift they've ever given. And the reason we're doing all of this is because of vision, because of Jesus's vision, because we believe that doesn't matter why you were lost or why you are dead, this is the place where life is available. But here's the thing. Everything I've said in this message up to this point, every church says, or at least every church should say it. But there are two errors that Christians fall into when it comes to lost and broken people. And I want to explain one with a reality TV show, don't judge me, and the other one with words from a pastor I heard speak a few years ago. Now, I've said it before, I'm a pretty big fan of reality TV, uh, cooking shows, all types of things. I went through my phases of Real World, Road Rules Challenge. Anybody else watch that for a very long time? It's trash television, but there's something about competition I love. Uh, Survivor, until it got onto season 50, I stopped watching that. The Amazing Race, I watched that for a really long time. My wife and I went through seasons of binge-watching Tiny House Hunters, House Hunters, House Hunters International, House Hunters, Tear It Down, Build a New One, all of those ones that they put out. And there was one show that was on for a few seasons that's actually canceled now that I never watched, but I ended up hearing a lot about. It was a show called Extreme Makeover. It was a show where they found someone, and what they would do is they'd actually give that person a dozen or so plastic surgeries, give them new makeup, a new wardrobe, and transform them into someone that they consider beautiful. It's a terrible show. But there was one participant named Delise Williams who ended up suing Extreme Makeover because things didn't go the way she expected them to. And here's what happened. She'd gone through all the preliminary work. She'd gone through all the scans, gone through all the interviews, all of those things. But the night before she was actually about to go on the show, they canceled everything, put her on a plane, and sent her home. And here's why. The night before the surgeries were about to begin, the dental surgeon was looking over her records and realized that he was going to have to perform a different surgery than he originally planned. And so what he did was he called the producer and he said, hey, here's the change. The one caveat is that the recovery was going to take way longer than originally anticipated. And the producer said they couldn't fit it into their filming schedule, so they canceled the surgeries. And they told Delise Williams, because you can't get well quickly enough, you have to go home. Have you ever been in that church? Have you ever been around that Christian? Have you ever been that Christian? who says you better get your stuff together and do it quick or you're out of here. And sadly, this is the first error that Christians and churches fall into when it comes to being around lost and broken people. They'll say, you're welcome here, but you have to get your crap together. You'll need to hit the road. And I wonder why some churches do that, because I've heard stories before. To be honest, some of you would say that feels a lot like your story. Why do Christians do that? But then I realized it's because we do it to ourselves. Right, We have the exact same attitude with ourselves. We will say, I need to stop drinking, but if I get drunk one time, I'm obviously not meant to be sober, so I'm just going to give up. We'll say, I need to get control of my money, but if I go over budget one month, I might as well not even try again. Or we'll say, I need to be more patient with my kids, but if I have a bad day, 
I think I'm not cut out to be a parent. And we tell ourselves, get it together now or give up. But that is an anti-Jesus, anti-gospel, anti-grace mentality. And what you need to understand is that because of our vision being to reach out to those who are lost and dead, it's okay if it takes you a while to get healthy. Make no mistake, we would love for you to be healthy. But if it takes a while, that's okay. We're not gonna kick someone out because recovery from living selfishly is taking longer than somebody else. Because I don't know about you, but if that were the case, I would have been sent home a very long time ago. Our church will not be like Extreme Makeover. We will be a place where people can belong, where the wounded are cared for, where the broken can find refuge, where the hurt have a place to be healed, and every soul finds rest in the promises of God. And here's the second error that Christians and churches fall into when it comes to lost and broken people. A few years ago, I was at a conference and there's a pastor speaking named Jim Bergen. And what, it, what he said that day actually just completely changed my life. And I've referenced some of the stories in my past sermons. But he asked this question to 5,000 church planners that really messed with me. But he asked, in your church, how lost is too lost? How lost is too lost? If Jesus came to seek and save the lost in your church, how lost is too lost? Now, let's say lost is on a scale of one to 10. There is no scale. This is all hypothetical. And one is that you're a good moral person and you are growing in your faith in Jesus and you're about to get baptized. And 10 is the worst person you could ever imagine. It's someone who takes advantage of other people, does illegal things, manipulates people in situations and finances. How lost is too lost? Six? Seven? The error that most Christians and churches make is that they draw a line in the sand and say, you can be this broken, but no more. But we will not be those Christians and we will not be that church. So it doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. It doesn't matter how many times you've fallen. It doesn't matter how many times you've let people down who have gently poured into you and said, I want to help you, but you just turned your back on them and walked away. We are a place where you can stay and get well. You are not lost here. So here's what I've come to believe. If we create a community where it's okay to be broken, where you can't be too lost, we need a lot more seats than what go into this gym. We're gonna need a lot more parking. We're gonna need a lot more space for kids. And to be honest, it probably won't be enough, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So I wanna share a story with you. In fact, we're gonna tell stories every single week in this series of people that go to this church and are part of this church. And none of the stories you will hear are from people who have arrived. They don't have perfect lives. They're still broken and working with Jesus on their healing. But these stories are who we are. So listen to Chris and Maggie's story right now. I've been friends with the Bartlett's for since college. We were living in Florida at the time and Michael was visiting. He was actually in town for a church planners conference because that's a thing that happens. Um, uh, he told us he was starting a church in Maryland. So in 2015 we had the privilege of moving up here and being a part of a core team that moved to Frederick uh, to start dreaming and planning um, about what God was going to do in this city. We named Collective at our dining room table. It was pretty cool. 
the first part of our marriage, we were spending a lot of time um, taking care of other people and we were really invested in ministry and we kind of just let being involved with other things take precedent. And they were all really good things. We were leading a youth group and taking trips to Haiti and you know doing things that we thought God was calling us to do. And then by the time we moved here to Frederick, um, we'd been through a lot. We'd lost Sammy. Um, and I think we had kind of just come to this place where we had created like this status quo of going through every day and doing really good things and pouring into other people, but we weren't taking time to really take care of ourselves. Collective had officially launched and we were part of the team and things were going on the surface going really well. Um, but um, then it came out um, that I had been unfaithful uh, in our marriage. And when that came out, I uh, tried to do everything I could to fix it. Ultimately made, made things worse. In November of 2017, um, we separated and I moved out of the house and had to get a new job. Um, and uh, things kind of had completely fallen apart. There were days I, I would wake up in the morning and I'd um, look at myself and I wouldn't be with my wife, I wouldn't be with my son, wouldn't be with my family and, and think of the man that I wanted to be and uh, the man that I was. It's like, who, who is this guy? I ultimately got to a place where I had to, had, I had to recognize that I had a lot of personal work to do if I wanted to try to earn a spot back with my family. I had to dig really deeply into my faith because I knew that Jesus was the only person that wasn't going to let me down, but it was really hard because emotionally I was on this roller coaster of not knowing where we would be or end up, but I had to like firmly root myself in knowing that God is faithful and He is constant and He is who He promises to be, and that was something that was really crucial for me. I don't think I've ever been had ever been stronger in my faith before than when all of this took place because I had to like dive all in because otherwise I think I would have just really been lost. You know, after months of therapy, you know, I got in and um, was still trying to just put band-aids on rather than opening myself up fully um, to, to healing and recovery and and what God could do if I allowed Him to actually truly transform my life completely. You know, our marriage was honestly, it was just put on hold um, for a while, which, you know, uh, breaks my heart because we have a little boy. And, uh, um, and so to not be around as his father for, uh, for so long um, was really hard and really challenging um, for me. Um, but, you know, I had motivation because I wanted my family back. I wanted my wife back. I wanted to be around my son every day. I mean, this has been a really long journey. It's not over, and there have been different places where Collective has played different roles for us individually. And then also, when we made the decision that we were gonna fight for our marriage, there were people who were there for me on the really bad days um, when I, needed somebody to pick me up and I needed somebody to make me laugh or remind me that there are still good things going on. Um, 
And then there were some times like I just needed somebody to be in the trenches with me and that's where I'm really glad for the relationships that had been long standing but while I wouldn't consider those relationships to have been shallow in the past, they certainly weren't as deep as they could have been because of things that like we just weren't willing to open up to because they were points of either shame or like extreme vulnerability that you don't know. You just don't know until you're there whether people are gonna stand by you or not. Early on, it was a lot of like supporting Jude and I and helping take care of us and um, but honestly, it was a lot of really hard conversations with really good friends that um, I never envisioned having, ever. We thought we were coming to Frederick to help plant a church and lead people. Um, we had no idea that God was bringing us to Frederick to heal our marriage. Collective allowed us, uh, gave us the space to be able to grow, to be able to heal. Um, to find restoration in our marriage um, that wouldn't have been possible without, um, without God, without the people that He used in our lives, without these friendships, these relationships. This church has um, supported us and held us up when we couldn't hold ourselves up. I think now we are far better equipped to do what God brought us here to do in the first place. I just really can't wait to see what God is going to do in the future, you know. This church helped save our marriage, um, helped uh, bring our family back together. When we were dreaming about starting this church, I remember sitting in Chris and Maggie's apartment and praying to God that we could start a church for broken people. In fact, we prayed for the opportunity to help heal marriages, and we just never thought it would be theirs but we prayed for this. We prayed that Collective would be a church where broken marriages get healed. We prayed that Collective would be a church where addictions are broken. We prayed that Collective would be a church where people at rock bottom find hope. We prayed that Collective would be a church where faith is restored and new life is found. We prayed for this and God said, okay. And on a scale of one to 10, I think Collective is probably an 11. We are lost, we are messy, we are broken, but Jesus is restoring the dead things in our lives. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, but $250,000 to see more lives impacted in that way seems like a no-brainer to me. Why would any of us even hesitate if we knew that was what God wanted to do in this church and in this city? So we are a church for the rest of us. Jesus is the most important thing here. He is our savior who came to rescue us from the grips of death. He is our Lord and our leader. He forgives us and makes us new, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his grace and endless second chances. And the most important thing to Jesus is lost people. And that is why this church exists. And we will do everything we can as a community to seek and save lost people. It doesn't matter what brokenness you have in your life. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to get healthy. It doesn't matter how lost you are. Jesus promises that he can give you new life. And Jesus wants you to come home Jesus wants you to put your faith in him so he can turn your life upside down. And because we are sold out to Jesus's vision for his church, we will be a church where lost people can be found. Let's pray. God, thank you 
that ultimately your vision was to come find us. God, to seek and save us, to bring us out of death. God, not just in our faith, but in our marriages, in our relationships, in our careers, in our self-worth. God, you promised that your vision was to find us and care for us and offer us hope and grace and new life. And God, so many of us would say that we've experienced that before. We're experiencing it now. And so God, we just pray that it keeps happening. God, that you make this church messy and broken, full of lost people, because that's what you want. That's what you want for us. That's what you want for your church. So God, as we, we step out on this boldness to create space for more messed up people, God, just remind us daily that we prayed for this. God, we prayed for this type of church because this is the type of church that you would start. God, we thank you um, that even though we're broken, that you offer us grace. God, you offer us second chances. God, you offer marriages second chances and relationships second chances and faith in you second chances. God, ultimately, thank you for what you're doing in the lives of people in this city. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.